Hi, everybody. I think most of you know my name is Debbie Manning. I'm one of the pastors here at the table. And I was just thinking as we were, as I was listening to Matt, two thoughts. Doesn't Matt just always have a way to kind of cut into my time and the message every time I get a chance to speak? Matt's well known on our team, but let's face it, he is a little more interesting and exciting than the rest of us. Um, the other thing I was thinking about was uh, literally like, wow, it's hard getting older. Because my mouth was feeling dry underneath that mask and my lips were kind of sticking to my teeth. But gosh, I just don't dare drink anything because I might have to pee during the middle of the message. And it's true. I had a wedding outside that I officiated yesterday. It was awesome. Four o'clock though, um, middle of this beautiful park, but not a tree in sight. And I didn't dare drink water and I thought I was going to faint. But it's all, it's all good. Um, we are continuing in the revised common lectionary. We sort of go in and out of that a, a bit, but we're going to stay in that for now. And we're in the book of Mark. We're looking at a few parables. Mark carries a few parables, but what he does carry are pretty remarkable. And what I like about the parables are that they invite us into something that uh, helps us to see a little more deeply or maybe see a little differently. And I think there's always something more in the parables than meets the eyes. They certainly aren't black and white. I think oftentimes they can be a little confusing. But what's important to the parables that we'll be in tonight is a little bit of the context. You know, Mark was written near the um, destruction of the temple in 70 CE. And it seems like it was written to a community of people that didn't quite know how to respond to the crisis of the moment. I mean, the temple was the center of their life. It's being destroyed. And it was unclear, like, should they respond, like, by joining arms with the church and becoming part of a revolution? Or should they respond by being subservient to the Roman Empire? Or should they respond by just trying to fit in, go along with everything? This is the group, the crew, that Mark was talking to when he told, shared these parables. And the parables that we're looking at are in the are in chapter 4, and it's the parable of the growing seed and the parable of the mustard seed. We're in Mark 4, 26. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up. The seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. And again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable, sh parable should we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and it becomes the largest of all garden plants. And such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say to them, he did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. Mark introduces both of these parables with an explicit mention of the kingdom of God. And in both stories, Jesus speaks about seeds to indicate God's new order that has come. This order that'll take root, that'll come to fruition. 
this order that uh, whether people like it or not is going to grow. I think that's an interesting part, whether people like it or not. But this first story, it's a short one, right, the seed growing on its own. It's interesting that there's no other gospel story that includes this parable. And there was a scholar that said, I think it's because it's boring that they don't include it. Because it's pretty straightforward, right? There's not a lot to it. There's no surprises. Everything goes according to plan. Jesus simply speaks about seeds and what they're supposed to do. They grow and they produce without any of our help. The reign of God will take root, whether in the world, in the imperial society, or in your heart. Jesus doesn't really specify it. It will gradually and automatically grow. feels a little contrary to some of the things we think about, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Here's the cool thing. It might grow subtly, so subtly, that we might not even notice that it's growing. We might not notice until it actually bears fruit. In this very simple parable, it's offering reassurance to us the nature of God's reign is to grow. That's what we know. The nature of God's reign is to grow and to manifest itself. That's what it does. But wait. The metaphor keeps on coming because Jesus goes on to talk about the mustard seed. And a lot of us are familiar with this one. The mustard seed, we know that it's small, but it has this ability to spread and take over an entire field. And in Mark's text, it can become sprawling enough that it even provides shelter for the birds. That mustard plant or bush or whatever it is, it might be small and short and even kind of scruffy, but it gets the job done. And the mystery in that is, wow, why choose that? It's so surprising. Why choose that? But what this parable does is it reaffirms. It reaffirms the things that I think we already know about God's reign, that something very small will eventually morph into something far larger. And also that something that can appear kind of obscure and even insignificant can turn into something grand, something even public in a way that really surprises us. And yet there's one more thing that's really important about this, is that the reign of God won't just grow for the sake of looking pretty, but creatures will find it as a place of safety and shelter, a place of security. Jesus could have likened God's reign to the cedars of Lebanon if he wanted to describe this in-breaking state of affairs that would just knock everybody's socks off. But instead he describes it with something more ordinary and yet something more able to show up. I like that when I read that. Something more able to show up. Something that can take over inch by inch and actually change, transform the landscape. Isn't that what the kingdom of God is about? And this mysterious text, because there is mystery in it, it gives us this vision of growth. It gives us this picture, this image of hope. Right? It's like the big picture of how God works. But I think about the people of those days, what they were living through. The conflict, the danger, the public chaos. Mark's people were living under 
crushing imperialism. I don't know if that would be enough. Is that enough of a message of hope? This text sort of takes this stance of observation and patience and waiting, discernment. Easy for us to say. And it makes me think about George Floyd. It makes me think about the bystanders. And I've been thinking a lot about that because a few weeks back, we were commemorating the anniversary of his murder. And when I think about that and I think about this parable, at first glance, it just doesn't feel enough for the moment that we live in now. I think a lot about the bystanders and how his death has impacted their lives. And Patty, would you show that video? Sidewalk bystanders, their testimonies, the way they put themselves out there to stand up, to speak out, to do what was right. You see it in the video, that young cup foods store clerk, the martial arts expert, Darnella Fraser, her 10-year-old niece, the EMT. You see them. You see them out there pleading, begging the policeman to get his knee off George Floyd's neck, to get George Floyd some help, but to no avail. Those bystanders crying out, pleading, seemingly powerful, powerless to have any effect on what was going on. Because at the end of the day, George Floyd died right in front of them. And I think about what they carry. And I think about that moment, if they had any hope that there is something bigger going on, that God is right here with them. And then I think of Darnella Fraser. And Patty, would you show that, her testimony? Thank you. 
It's a lot of weight and responsibility to carry as a witness when you bear witness to something. And she tells the court that she apologizes over and over again to George Floyd, wondering, could she have done something more? Could she have done something different? Why wasn't her pleading and yelling? Why wasn't it enough to stop what was going on? In her haunting words, when I hear that, it makes Jesus' mysterious parable just like a little hard to hear. Where's God in this? Where's the hope? There's something to say about not being able to see in that moment that there still is hope, that there still is a light. But it's hard. And what the parables don't do is they don't promise a gospel of unhindered progress. And we know that. We live in a world where we see that. But the parables do insist that the new order that Jesus declares, that that new order, through his words and through his deeds, they will not be relegated to some other sphere. There is no place, nowhere, that that mustard plant can be confined Because at the end of the day, with those seeds that are carried by the wind, that those seeds that stick to the shoelaces of a hiker, that they're not spread everywhere, that they won't grow wherever it will. You know, it makes me think a little bit of the quote that many of you heard. Matt, I'm I'm sure you've probably used it, but the quote that we attribute to Dr. King that actually he quoted from, I think, Theodore, Theodore Parker, who was an abolitionist, The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. I really want to believe that. I really want to believe that. I really want to hang on to that truth of God's big picture of the kingdom to come. It's interesting because I think in the midst of that, because I do believe that, there's so much heart along the way that it's so important for us to see differently. And I think that's what this parable is telling us. And it's so important for us to look at the context because you know what the context around that quote is? It's this. Evil may so shape events that Caesar will occupy a palace and Christ a, Christ a cross. But that same Christ will rise up and split history into AD and BC so that even the life of Caesar must be dated by his name. Yes. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. We are called, we are called as people of faith to lay hold of that arc, to help bend that arc just a bit. And I want to point out, because we talked about it earlier in that first parable, that is more about what we don't understand is going on as that farmer than it is about Like, oh, God's got it. We're just going to take our hands off of it. Because Mark is clear throughout his gospel that he will not endorse any kind of a passive stance on our part. While there is something inevitable in the kingdom of God, throughout Mark, throughout the gospels, us would be called disciples. We are called to participate in the ways of Jesus. Here's what I like about what Mark's saying. I think he's offering us a different way of getting along in the world. And yes, it absolutely involves 
deeply trusting in the faithfulness of God. Trusting that God is at work on the promises that he's given all of us. But the other piece of this is that it involves from us a self-giving kind of life. A self-giving kind of life and following Jesus to the cross. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith in, is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And I love the message translation of that. The fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. Jim Wallace, I was reading something just earlier today that he said about Hebrews. He said, faith means to believe in spite of the evidence and then watch the evidence change. And I think that is the life of faith. And because we can't see doesn't mean that we lose hope. Because we can't see doesn't mean that we don't act, that we don't speak out. Thank God for those bystanders on that sidewalk that day. Because just when you think it's over, just when you think it doesn't matter, just when you think that you didn't do enough, a verdict comes down. And on April 20th, a guilty verdict came down. And while justice did not come that day, accountability did. And those bystanders, those bystanders were the game changers. They didn't save George Floyd's life, but they were a mysterious, living, testifying bouquet of humanity. That's what the prosecutor called them. And that, that part of the story helps us make a little bit of sense of Mark's parable. We live by faith. It's not a passive faith that simply kind of sits back and glibly says, God's got this. But it's a faith that trusts that God's at work. It's a faith that says even though we might not see or understand, that we will step in when we're called. That we will listen, that we will pay attention, that even when it's scary, even when our life might be in danger, even when we're uncertain, what is this, we will step forward. Because when we do that, even in what seems small, even in what seems ordinary, it matters. It matters. And I think, friends, if we start paying attention, it's in the day-to-day, -day, the ordinary. What comes before us all the time, that if we pay attention, like that's when we get a glimpse of all the good things that God is doing. I wanted to close, well, I've got a, a little video at the end, but I have a good friend. She's a nurse. Last summer, she was um, needed to hire a nurse for the team that she works on. She put that out there. She had all these amazing applicants, people that um, had all these skills, all this experience in this area, but she got one applicant, one application, half finished. It's from a younger woman. And she was telling me about this just last week, and she said, you know, there was something in me that just went, I want her to finish that application. And so not knowing this woman, she emailed her back and said, hey, could you finish your application? And that woman did, and that woman got the job, and my friend was saying she was the most amazing, fabulous nurse. I mean, she just, to, to be on their team, it like changed everything. She was so good. 
That was last summer. And at Christmas, my friend got this note, and she shared it with me and gave me permission to share it with you all. Merry Christmas. In 2020 fashion, I ran out of holiday cards and left my photos at home so you get a lovely 4 by 6 Christmas photo. I truly cannot thank you enough for this job. It saved my, fam my family and it saved my life. When I got your email asking if I wanted to finish my application, I was in the thick of postpartum anxiety and depression. That morning, I had packed, my ba I had packed bags for my kids and wrote a letter to my kids and my husband. I just felt like I had nothing coming and my family deserved better. I was sobbing in bed when I truly believe God told me to check my email because I had this urge to check it right away. I printed your email and I put it in my Bible. It restored hope. You're my husband's favorite person. Thank you will never be enough. And I am confident that I would not be earthside if it wasn't for you. Something that seemed small to my friend. Something that seemed ordinary. God was working. Like that small seed. Like that's growing. That makes a difference. It matters. It does matter. Something that small something that ordinary will carry the gospel message of love and justice and hope in ways that we will never fully understand. And honestly, one thing I've realized in my old age is I don't need to understand. I really don't. It is freeing. I don't need to understand. I just trust that God is working. I think Mark's parable at the end of the day, what it gives us is a glimpse of God's faithfulness, a glimpse of change, a germination that flowers in the cracks of the sidewalks on 38th and Chicago are there. And maybe it does sound glib. At the end of the day, love wins. Patty, show that video. At the end of the day, maybe the question for us is what kind of witness will we bear in the world wherever God puts us? And that's a good enough question to leave with. My uh, daughter and son-in-law live next to a sweet couple, and Greg sent my son-in-law this picture. I don't know, a couple days ago if you guys saw this, but it was sunny and raining. And Greg was down. He lives near there. And uh, I thought I'd end with that. That's hopeful. There's God's kingdom. Let me pray. Holy and gracious God, um, 
while sometimes we are just like that farmer who sleeps and wakes and sows and doesn't know what the heck we're doing. But thank God you do know. God, help us to be people that can put our faith in you and trust that there's something bigger going on. Help us to be people that have courage to step in and step up and speak out when you call us to do that. Help us to be people that stand together, that work toward justice. God, we're grateful. We're grateful that you're a God who loves us and you call us to love one another and we pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Debbie. I had this interesting meeting earlier this week with this lady who's, uh, she does plant medicine. Anyways, long conversation, but we started talking about spirituality. And in the middle of the conversation, we talked about, I asked her, so what got you into what you are into? And she said, you know what, at my very core, I trust that there is benevolent force working for the good of all things. And I want to learn more about it. And I said, me too. Me too. I do trust that, you know, at the baseline of all things, God may not work instantly, but God does work incrementally. And so I will not give up on the miles just because all we're seeing is the inches. We keep bending that arc. And I appreciate that message tonight, Debbie. We keep walking this road. Even when it looks like it's broken, things are actually coming together. That's the Christian faith that we profess every week. And so we do that around the Lord's table. Where if you got your communion elements, now would be a good time to take them out. We remember the night before when Jesus was betrayed and he's sitting around the table with his closest of kin and he says, this is it. This is not going to be an up and to the right endeavor. Things are about to hit the fan. It's about to go broke. He says, before I go though. When you get together in the future and you sit at this table and you sit with one another, I want you to take the bread. And Jesus took the bread. And he broke the bread. And he said, whenever you have this bread in the future, think about me. Remember me. Same way he lifted up the glass of wine that was sitting at the center of the table. And he said, in the future when you come together, this wine... It ought to remind you of my blood, the blood that's shed for forgiveness of all sins, the blood of the covenant. When you drink this, remember me. So we do that every week. In a moment, we are going to continue to worship. But before we do, will you stand and say the Lord's Prayer with me right now? Our God, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Well, thanks everyone for being here tonight. It is, like Matt said earlier, it is so awesome to be back together and be inside and have air conditioning and just see everybody. So we are so grateful for this community and for the witnesses that you are as you live your life out in the world. 
So we're glad that we can do it together. Hey, one quick thing I wanted to mention, because we haven't communicated this from up front, but we're trying to figure out how we do the kids' ministry. So where we're sort of landing is parents drop their kids off. The nurseries are on the corner. The kids' rooms are pre-K and grade school are downstairs. So you drop them off before you come in, and then the teachers will bring them back up um, right before communion or right during that time, and they'll join you for the last couple of worship songs. So just so everybody has a heads up on that. So with that, please hear our benediction. No matter who you are or what you've done, no matter who you love or what you've lost, no matter where you've been or the places you've stayed, you always have a place at the table because you are a beloved child of God and you belong. Go in peace. See you next week.